Hello, you are listening to the Bethel Atlanta Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com. All right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm almost always touched by a song or multiple songs, but... Um, This morning, all my life you have been faithful, and your goodness is running after, is running after me. How many could say that's your testimony with the Lord? Yeah. Yeah. uh, Lauren mentioned I don't don't necessarily like talking about money. I'm, uh, uh, for a number of reasons, um... I'm half English. My mother's English. I was born in England. And uh, in Eng- English, in England, it's bad form to talk about money. Uh, I'm an introvert. Uh, I think it's so easily to be misunderstood about money. Um, there, I, I always, I'm concerned, like, if the testimony is too small, somebody big will discount it because it's too small. And if it's too big, someone will discount it because it's too big, and so, uh, but, so I don't love talking about it, um, but I talk about it a lot. It's 11-11. I talk about it a lot, because I, I felt I heard the Lord one day say, break off part of your life and give it away. So I talk out of obedience, not out of preference. And um, my assignment this morning is, um, is I feel an assignment, an, a, a self-imposed pressure. A, the assignment I felt, I woke up about four in the morning with this assignment, like speak as if you're speaking to a son, a daughter, a grandson, a granddaughter, a 15-year-old grandson instead of putting one of my grandkids on the spot and naming him. So I'm just going to name this person, hypothetically, Charlie. (laughs) So I'm preaching to Charlie today, but it's a 15-year-old. It could be your son. It could be your grandson. It could be you at 15. It could be... And I have one shot at Charlie. I only have 35 or 40 minutes with Charlie, ever. This is the assignment. So I'm coming... Trying to bring my best shot. I'm coming pleading. I'm coming begging. I'm coming at convincing. And uh, so I'm going to make an argument for giving and generosity uh, from the Bible, from my testimonies, and from observations. And if I have time, I'm going to hit all three. And I'm hoping the, the, the intersect of all three will be Incredibly convincing for Charlie. Amen? I come with a belief that, you know, we're called to change. Like, how do Christians change? Our destiny, if you read the scripture, our destiny is to walk in glory. It's a great story. And our destiny is to be conformed to the image of Christ. Our destiny is to change. And 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 we are and Lauren's been talking a lot about it's you know constantly changing, constantly repenting, changing the way we think, adjusting. Like that's one way we grow. 
And I think there's another way we've discovered that you grow, and that's if, if one of my leaders has a grace on their life, I can, I can tap into that inheritance, and I believe I get it through honor and hunger. Through honor and hunger, I, can, I feel, this is my personal opinion, I think I could make a case for it scripturally, but there's an impartation that can happen. If I'll get behind the wake of my leader and they have a grace on their life and I'll come with hunger and, and I'll come with honor and hunger, I can actually accelerate my jumping into that grace, that wake. I can get it for free. Inheritance is getting something you didn't earn for free. We experienced that here when the church started. And I'm speaking today as a grandfather. I'm not the senior leader anymore. I'm, I'm like a grandfather in the church. And, but when we started, we thought, well, it's going to take a year or two. We're going to build community. We'll start a church. We'll build, we'll, we'll build a culture. And then eventually we'll start seeing signs and wonders and miracles and, and healings and stuff. We started seeing it from day one. And we were kind of surprised. It was from inheritance of something we had not, we hadn't dug those wells. They'd been dug in Bethel, and we were part of that, that, that group. And, and through our honor and our hunger, we were seeing things immediately. So I've, I just know that thing, that principle works, right? So Charlie, through honor and hunger, you can get something from your granddad today. I'm convinced. For me, a uh, journey with money started in third grade when my parents took me to open at Fulton Federal Savings in College Park a $5 passbook. Remember those passbook savings accounts? And we opened one with $5, and that was the beginning of quote, my money. You're, you know, you felt some ownership in second, third grade. I felt uh, I was, I was uh, my first job was at um, the Huffington House. It was a little, it was like a Denny's, a little up, is better than a Denny's, but not a lot better. And, and it, and I would drive my bike like four miles and it, I was 15 I couldn't get the job myself. My dad had to call the guy. It was kind of humbling. I was a busboy. I made $1.50 an hour. And my first day was the graveyard shift, 5 p.m. to 5 a.m. It's a tough job. Made $1.50 an hour, bussing tables. The Lord reminded me this morning in worship, I was driving my bike home one night. It was 5 a.m. after a shift. And going down this big hill in Colorado Springs, they have some huge hills there. And a lady at dusk pulled out in front of me. My bike hit the side of her car, and I flipped up onto her hood. Five lanes of traffic, and I'm holding on to those windshield wipers for dear life as she goes across five lanes of traffic. But Charlie, we're not to despise small beginnings. The $1.50 job. Because uh, God will add some zeros to you over time. But he, one of the stories, for some reason, I grew up not thinking that I deserved the best. And I, I don't, no one ever told me that. I had, I had a weird background. My mother and my 
great-grandfather and the English side, uh, they cared about money, and my dad and my grandfather on the American side did not. One died in a mansion and one died in a mobile home. And so I'm kind of, you know, I'm kind of screwed up in that whole thing. Like, what's my identity here? But I grew up, I remember a kid had a Schwinn bike. Remember the Schwinn bikes were so cool? Like, I didn't feel like I was ever going to get a Schwinn bike. My dad might have bought one if I'd asked. And I remember a pair of cleats that I never asked for that I really wanted. And I remember a winter coat. And there was something inside me that said, you, you get to be number two and try harder. And I believe as the Lord um, found me, he said, I want to change that in you because he loves all of us and we, we all deserve good things. His goodness is pursuing us. His chasing after us. But something inside me didn't believe that. And, and part of my story, Charlie, is that he's going after that. And Isaiah 61 is such a, an amazing scripture. You can turn there. You don't have to. I'm just going to jump on it. But it, it, I think it may be the most important chapter in the whole Old Testament. It really is Jesus' mission statement. And when he opened the scrolls to begin his inaugural address and address this is who I am, and he started his ministry, he opened the scroll to Isaiah 61, and basically it said, I'm coming after you, you brokenhearted, you hurting. And I can't ever share that without feeling some emotion. I'm not a high emotional guy. I feel emotion every time I think about Isaiah 61, that God incarnate, God became flesh, he opens the scroll, and the first thing he says, I'm coming after the hurting. I'm coming after the broken. I'm coming after the disenfranchised. I'm coming after the oppressed. I'm coming after the one that needs to be healed. God became flesh, and his opening salve was that. He said, I'm preparing a day for the favor of the Lord. I'm preparing a jubilee. I'm your get-out-of-debt guy. I'm your chain breaker. I'm your shame breaker. I'm your jubilee God. And I'm going to make you into an oak of righteousness. I'm going to repair where you're hurting. I'm going to make you strong. And I'm going to make you a rebuilder of the cities. That's the gospel we serve. That's our God. And, and I had to get as I, when I got born again at 17, God began to just change the way I think. Like, no, this is the way God thinks about you. I want you to be an oak. I want you to be an overcomer. And um, the garden was that too for me. Like the garden helped change my internal mechanism. Like the garden was beautiful. The garden was perfect. The garden was without sin. The garden had an abundance. The garden had talking intimately with the God. That was plan A. Like, I had to get into me. That's plan A. Wow. 
And I believe God loves each one of us that um, one of my life messages is I'm on a journey to my proper identity. And so are you. But this was part of my journey to a proper identity. If you would, turn, turn to Genesis chapter 14. Genesis 14 is uh, about a really unique guy in the Bible, Melchizedek. He is, he is a mystical one. If you like mystics, you like mystery, you like cool stuff. Genesis chapter 14 and verse 18. You're going to love this. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. Now he was a priest of God, Most High, and he blessed him. Melchizedek had no, there's no mention of a father or when he died, like no beginning, no ending. Melchizedek was a king, and Melchizedek was a priest. Melchizedek came with bread and wine. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. Jesus was the prince of peace. You go, see where I'm going here? Melchizedek was a type of Jesus, a forerunner, whatever the right word is. He represented Jesus. And Abraham, I think of Abraham as Adam, act two. Abra, Adam, you're, hey, Adam, Go multiply the earth. Go, go forward. Let's, let's expand the kingdom. Adam sins. Abraham, hey, Abraham, I'm going to bless the whole world, world through you. Your kids are going to look, be as numerous as the stars of the sky. I'm going to, God wants to bless. Hey, didn't quite work out with Adam. Let's go after Abraham. And Abraham has all these spoils of war, and he brings a tithe to Melchizedek. When you think of Melchizedek as Jesus, I think of when I make a gift, I'm giving it to Jesus. I'm giving it to God. Yeah, I'm giving it to my church. I care about the church. I love, love the church, but, I, but ultimately I'm giving it to him. Melchizedek, and the reason I mention this verse is this was long before the law was given. Some people say, well, tithing's about the law. Tithing's only about the law, but this was before the law. Now, it may have been a one-time gift. It may have, he may have given again. Who knows? But God is showing something here. Before the law, he made a tithe into that. I, when preparing this message, I... Uh, it's, Google's so wonderful and all these search engines, Duck and all whatever you want to use. But um, you pull up giving, or, and before you know it, you get, oh, here's 100 verses on giving. Like it just, bam, right in your face. It's so easy. Isn't it wonderful? I mean, there's some bad things about it, but that's a good thing about it. And, and they're just so easy, and you can just sort of scroll and read them. Like it doesn't take that long to read them. They're short. And I would encourage you to do that, Charlie. <laughs> Charlie, you should do that because it won't take that long. And, you know, anybody could, some convincing speaker can take one verse and just 
Go almost anywhere with it. But when you read the whole counsel of God, like beginning to end, like you start to hear the heartbeat of God. Like, you know, it's hard after you read them all, like I, you feel differently than if you read two or three. So I'd encourage you to do that because you can't, you come away with a feeling that's so, so hard to argue with. Now, Charlie, I'm going to take you to a hard scripture. It's Malachi 3. Yeah, I hear groans, and it wasn't even Charlie groaning. Malachi, I read the whole, it's only four chapters. It's an interesting book. Like, I, we've been kind of taking on some tougher subjects around here lately. Like, who preaches on politics two weeks in a row and in Christmas? Like, who does that? Who talks about money eight days before Christmas? So, I'm not going to ask anybody for money today. Charlie, I'm not asking you for money. But Malachi's interesting because the, the chronology of the book is so interesting because it's the last book of the Old Testament, and God is saying some things there, and then there are 400 years of silence. Like, I'm quiet for 400 years. 40 years is typically testing in the Bible, 40 years in the wilderness. This is 10 times 40 10x in the wilderness, 10x testing, 10x, I'm going to be quiet. So to me, like, first words are important, last words are important, but when God is saying something and then he's going quiet for 400 years and the next thing we hear from God is John the Baptist, the kingdom is coming. Like, this is kind of important. And the more I... The more I get close to God, the more I care about what he cares about. That's why I started loving the church more. He loves the church. And in Malachi, the first chapter, I'd love, love you, Charlie, to go back and just read it. It doesn't take 20 minutes. But I've only got 40, so I'm not going to spend 20 of it right here. But the first chapter of Malachi, God is upset with the priests. And I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to miss out on this one. I'm not a priest, and I'm not, I'm not sacrificing animals and bulls and goats and rams. So, you know, I'm, I'm going to get through this one. And he's frustrated with them because they're bringing, they say they're bringing their best, and they're not. They're bringing lambs that are, diseased or have a hurt leg or they're bringing second best and you can hear God in there like I am going to be feared among the nations he's like he is really he's ticked he's being dissed he, he's like I'm going to be feared among the nations and my name will be great and what you're doing is really upsetting me. It's like, whoa. So I think I'm free, but, you know, we're priests. 
and we bring a sacrifice. We bring sacrifice of, how do we bring sacrifice? I bring a sacrifice of praise. It's convicting, like, Lord, do I need to make an adjustment? Do I need to adjust how I bring you praise? Uh, my gifts to you, I bring gifts of, um, of money. Do I need to adjust? Because you feel very strongly about this. And then in the second chapter, he goes into, hey, I, I want you to be holy. I, I, don't, I don't want perjury. I don't want adultery. I don't. And he goes into sins that he cares about, that he feels like the nation has gone into. And he talks some about divorce, and he talks about, he says, hey, the wife of your youth, even if you're divorced, the wife of your youth, she's the wife of your mother, you better take care of her. I'm not happy with the way you're oppressing the wife of your youth. And so he's, he's on a roll. And you know, it, it's important that we read the hard verses and the hard chapters and not just preach on the t- easy ones. And it's, uh, I heard someone almost describe it like there's a, there's a knife, and I've got to kind of walk through that in repentance. Like I've got to press through the hard things. So God, you adjust us. You adjust me. So he goes through that. And um, in chapter 3, they, they start saying, but how do we return to you? And his response is like, would anyone rob God? Like, it shocks me. Like, they're asking, how do we repent? And they said, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings, and you're cursed with a curse, and you're robbing me, the entire nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse so there may be food in my house, and put me to the test now in this, says the Lord of armies, if I do not open the windows of heaven, pour out a blessing until it overflows." There's a lot going on in that verse. I've been reading the Bible lately with a thought of like, are you pulling out? A lot of verses are like carrots. You know, when you're trying to move a mule, you can put a carrot on a stick and try to get them to go after the carrot. That's one way to move a mule. You can pop the mule in the rear with a stick and try to move them that way carrot or a stick. And a lot of verses are either a stick or a carrot, but very few are both. <laughs> this one is a carrot, it is a stick, and it's a test me right in the middle. Only place in the Bible, like test me. And he's saying, so what's the stick? What's the carrot? The, the this, the stick is a bad one. You're cursed with a curse. You're robbing me, your entire nation. Then he says, test me. And then this, the carrot, and see if I don't open the windows of heaven and pour out a blessing until it overflows. He's trying to get our attention. Trying to get our attention. And if I say I believe the Bible... I don't need to really go beyond that verse. <clears throat> so let's go to Matthew 23, 23. Now, Charlie, I know you're a basketball fan. 
And 23 is Michael Jordan's number, so you can remember Matthew 23, 23. That's a great Michael Jordan verse. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. So this is Jesus speaking. And he's basically, you can picture these Pharisees. They've got these mints, this cumin and stuff. And they're out there like in public, and they're just dividing it out so they can perfectly give 10% away. And God is saying, you're making me sick with this stuff, you bean counters. There are more important things like justice and mercy and faithfulness. And a lot more important than you getting this to the right fraction of an ounce. And so Jesus is saying there's, it's funny, it's this dichotomy, like, Other than the kingdom, he talks about money. But I don't think money carries a lot of weight in heaven. The currency of heaven is faith. It's not money. I don't think we're going to be scraping the streets of gold and fishing in the crystal seas to provide a tithe in heaven. It's, It's not heaven. Heaven is his goodness, his truth, his righteousness. It's faithfulness. It's the weightier things of mercy and law and justice. And he's saying to these scribes, these religious leaders, you should know better. There's more important things. But he's saying, in a way, he's affirming the tithe. He's saying, you should have done the weightier things without neglecting this. So this, this, the critics of tithing in the New Testament could say, hey, Matthew's still Old Testament. Matthew technically is still Old Testament. He hasn't, at this point, has not died on the cross and risen from the dead. We're not quite yet in the New Covenant is one way of looking at it. And this verse is an interesting one too, 2 Corinthians 9. You could almost talk yourself out of tithing on this verse. And so to be fair, Charlie, I'm going to let you see it. Now I say this, the one who sows sparingly will reap sparingly. The one who sows generously will reap generously. Each must do just as he has decided in his heart not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. You could take that verse and say, I don't see tithing in the New Testament. Charlie, I hope you don't do that. Because if you think about other areas when you enter the land of grace, does the bar get higher or lower? When I, when I come into the land of grace, he said, you've heard it said, thou shalt not murder. But if you hate your brother, you've already murdered him. 
You heard it said, don't commit adultery, but if you've lusted in your heart, you've already done it. Like, that bar went way up, like almost impossible territory. Like, don't get angry and never lust. That's kind of impossible zone to me. Only by God's grace and only by the Holy only by God's grace can we live at that level of holiness. So I, I wonder, I, to me, in the land of grace, in grace land, he has it all. It in, you get 10, I get 90. Me and, me and my God and 90 are going to be better than me alone with my 100. I, I, he's been whispering Charlie into my ear lately, do I have it all? <laughs> you, you don't like hearing that. Do I have it all? In the new covenant, it's all his. Do I have it all? Because he's a jealous God. He wants to be Lord of our life. If you read the 100 verses, Charlie, I think the Holy Spirit will speak to you. Charlie, when I was about your age, I gave my first gift. I got saved at 17. So my first two jobs, first three jobs, I didn't tithe on because I, I didn't really know the Lord. But I remember bringing a gift of $20 to this little church, and I was making $2 an hour, so it was 10 hours worth of work. I felt that gift at age 17. I felt it. It was from me. It wasn't compulsion. My parents had nothing to do with it. It was my gift unto the Lord. It was one of the most important gifts of my life. Jesus notices. He can go big and he can go small. He noticed the widow who gave two little copper coins worth almost nothing. And the rich guys were writing big checks and he said, she gave more. God saw my heart on my $20 gift. I'm convinced. Charlie, I hope you have a moment where you give $20 or whatever the inflation adjusted money is. It's probably 100 Probably take 100 to get your attention. But I never forget it. So when I got saved and I moved to Georgia and I went to Georgia Tech, I could walk to walk under the highway and go to First Baptist. And I was blessed with a great pastor who preached tithing. And I was so new in the Lord, I didn't know anything. Like, I just believed what my pastor said. I didn't question it. It's a novel concept. I believed he had my best interest at heart. And so uh, my dad uh, went through a, 1974 was a real estate recession, depression almost, almost like it was here in 08, 09. And um, he didn't have any money for me to go to college, so I was working my way through. I had every reason. I'm trying to live on eating on $3 a day 
every penny was kind of accounted for. I had every reason not to tithe, but I'm so grateful I did. In my senior year, I got engaged. I didn't want to get married till I was 30, but I married this girl. I met this girl named Lindy, and she was. I was out kicking my coverage so far that I better get her. God's never going to get anybody better. So forget the age 30 plan. We'll marry her now. But I had no money. I, had, I didn't grow up with a big sister. I wasn't that close to my family. So I didn't, know that, I didn't know it wasn't really done that you should have a ring and all that stuff. So I asked her to marry me. I didn't have a ring, didn't have a plan for a ring, didn't have money for a ring. Clueless in Seattle. (laughs) And at my P.O. box at school, the little, you already turned the little combination thing, little tiny box, opened it up a few weeks after she said yes. She didn't care. Lindy came from money, but she didn't care. And uh, there was a postal money order for enough money to buy a diamond. I never found out who gave it. Asked all my family members, all my best friends. They all swear that, no, it wasn't me, wasn't me, wasn't me. When we were newly married... Um, we, we were, so I worked at Sun Trust Company Bank making first job, 16,000 a year. She's a Woodward Academy PE teacher, coach, making 13,000 a year. Like, this makes you feel old how low these numbers are. <laughs> like, man, that's low. <laughs> and we're like, and our apartment costs like $300 a month. So we're like, hey, can we live on my income and save yours and She's getting about 800 bucks a month after tax, and I can remember going to buy a gold coin. If I'd known David Murray, I'd been taking her month's salary, go buy a gold coin. And I was beginning to hear the Lord say, give it to the building fund. It's like, give a 1000 to the building fund. It's like, God, this is a lot of money. We're trying to get ahead. And he kept doing it like time after time after time. So three or four times we're like doing this and I can feel it like you're stretching me. After the fourth or fifth time we're starting to, um, we built a little house and had some debt and I heard the Lord one day say, you took care of my house, so I'm going to take care of yours. And a few months later, Crazy circumstances happen. Couple crazy big sales that first year people never make. And I went to the savings and loan and paid off the mortgage. Charlie, this stuff. Like my encounters with God are as much about money as almost any other subject. Where he's, he's pursuing you. He's pursuing you with his goodness.
if you get past tithing, Charlie, you can get into the more fun stuff. It's like tithing's elementary school, like reading, writing, arithmetic. It's not that much fun. It's foundational. It's other subjects that are more fun. I remember um, the Lord kind of prompted me, like, give, some pro- give your profits of your business, a percent of your profits to, this was Alan Winter, Frontlines Ministry, Alan and Heidi Winter. And, and so we kind of figured out, okay, this is what we need to live, and anything above that's profit. And we were, for a season, we we're going to give like 35, 40% of the profit of the business to Frontlines. Guess what happened? Business goes up, right? As soon as you decide to do it, goes up. And I'm calling, I can remember calling Alan. I had a $5,000 check for this month or two or something. Alan, I got a $5,000 check. Let's go to breakfast. I can't wait to give it to you. Like, it was fun. It was found money. It was new. And and he's a missionary, you know, you just feel that like, man, I got to raise money and I got to raise money. And there was somebody saying, I got money and I can't wait to give it to you. More money. It's the way it's supposed to feel. Y'all have heard this story, but I, I think it's important for this season. So in 2008, 9, 10, they, you know, they call that the Great Recession. There's recessions all the time. There's lots of recessions, but oh wait, oh nine, great recession. And in South Atlanta, real estate was a depression. No nine. In my bet, I'm a financial planner. My best clients are in the real estate world in South Atlanta. They're like pipeline contractors and concrete companies and developers, and they were getting Killed in 09. Crushed. All the money was leaving my office. None of it coming in. They're taking it out. It's flowing out like crazy. And I hear the Lord say, tithe into your dream income. And in 09, all my energy is at the church. Like my, my extra energy is not in my business. It's going to church. Church, church, church. So we're in a deep recession I'm not focused on business, and the Lord says, tithe into your dream income. Do you know most people's dream income is twice what they make today? Like most people think, if I made twice as much, I wouldn't have any money problems. Whether you make 50, 100, 500, it doesn't matter. It's 2, 3x, that's how much I wouldn't have any money problems. Guy makes a million a year, he still thinks he needs to make two. So that's, that's me. Like, so I started tithing into twice what I was making. That was my dream income. I couldn't even cover the tithe check the first month. I had to tell the bookkeeper, could you hold the check till I get paid? And at the end of the year, something happened like a gift of faith like I've never felt before, Charlie. Like something inside me says, this is going to work. This is God. And I started telling people, like, God told me to tithe into my dream income. And I started declaring it, making declarations. And I could feel it like it was real. Now, remember, 
going to the dwarf house in Fayetteville. I was walking in one morning to an appointment. And this CPA in town, who's a little bit of an antagonist, he, he kind of, he said, what are you going to a meeting for? No one's buying anything. I mean, this is how bad it was. No one's buying anything. You're wasting your time. And inside, I'm like, Lord told me to tithe in my dream income. I'll have the best year of my life. I'm not going to tell you that, but that's what I'm thinking. And that's exactly what happened to the penny. To the penny. And I, I think it's a message that if in 2024 we go into a recession, that that Lord, he's encouraging, Steve, I don't want you to think like survival. I want you to think like thriving. I'm the God of the universe. I'm the miracle-working God. I'm the God who provides. I'm the God of the cattle on a thousand hills. I'm the God who one sentence said, let there be light, and there's light forever continuing in the universe. I'm the God of all the gold. I'm the God who prepares a place for you. I'm the God of resource in heaven. And so I just, Charlie, I want you to know he's that God. Well, um, and we'll close with this. Uh, this is more about us as a church. I, I, I feel, um, feel like I've been slack. Lord's adjusting me about this debt-free in 23. And I got convicted because one of the ladies in our, who's in our church, who's an intercessor, you know, there's intercessors that pray every Wednesday. And the Lord just laid on her heart for 40 days, she's coming out on the property and taking communion to be debt-free by 23. And I'm like, I was convicted by that. And I tell you, as an elder in our church, we, we could have put up a little metal building on five acres and it had been very comfortable. But I just think God is a God of excellence and wants beauty. God cares about his house. If you look at, uh, I think it's First Chronicles 29, Charlie, if you write that down and go home and read about it. But it's... It's when David was building the temple. And it's so cool. The people just started getting the wood and the gold and the acacia wood and the silver. And there was, they were just, all of the people were kind of rallying and coming together. David gave so much gold that the present value of the gold he alone personally gave was a billion dollars. And there was joy in the house. And like God cares about his house. God can go big. Like that temple was more dollars per square foot than any building on the planet ever. Millions of dollars a square foot when you add up all the materials and how small it was. And yet God can come and be in a manger. He can go big. He can go small. All of us... All of us slept in something better than a manger and less than that temple last night. We are all in the middle of that. He put a big old parenthesis around that thing.
I feel like, I feel like um, there's some calls on our church that I just want to reiterate that the leadership's been sharing. But I feel like if we would all step into the realm of faith and bring all the tithe into the storehouse, everyone who calls home Bethel, and we did this for a season, I wonder what God would do. It's, it's an apostolic thought to go to the end of the bell curve and think in heavenly terms, what would he do? Do we, ha- we call ourselves a faith church? We call ourselves a healing church. Like, what if we all did that? And I felt last Sunday he said this thing of paying off the debt, it's in the room. And I think some of it's tied to all of us doing our piece and then some big gifts coming on top. But not just big gifts without everyone else. It's both and. And I just think it's 100%. Like, I have a dream about a church where everyone was, all of us were giving and and, and then there was a place where everyone began to begin living this overcoming life, this oaks of righteousness, Isaiah 61. Like we all were generously prophetic and had more than enough. And then when people would come in, when we'd bring our friends and guests and there was a need, prophetically we'd know what it was and out of our abundance we would meet the need and we'd become famous for it. Malachi, God's saying, I'm, the, I'm a great God. I'm a great king. My name will be feared among the nations, revered among the nations. Why not here? Why not us? Why not us? In the Old Testament, when the house of God got in disrepair, God was not happy. Our house is not in disrepair, our buildings. We could do some stuff out there. But I'll tell you as an elder, our people are underpaid now. In that sense, we're in disrepair. And there's just a call. I am really frustrated by that and upset about it. We've we've got to do better. We have, our staff is so incredible and competent. Um, We've got valedictorians all over the place, and people run six-figure businesses all over the place. They're making a sacrifice. I need to make, I need to search my heart. Am I making a sacrifice equal? So, Charlie, I'm going to just pray a blessing over you. Charlie, I... I pray that your walk with Jesus will be just marked by crazy stories about money. That your financial life will be marked by peace and by generosity and by abundance. And you'll be quick to give. You'll be 
you'll be arguing with yourself about buying something for a few hundred dollars and then you'll give thousands to the church without thinking about it. You'll mark, your life will be marked by your generosity. Heaven will see it. Heaven sees your faith. You're living for a different kingdom. Your investment in an eternal kingdom. This world is passing away. The houses, the food, the cars, the clothes. Charlie, as you give into the kingdom, it will bring thousandfold return. You'll be known in heaven. Heaven sees. I bless you. I bless you, Charlie, with a heart for the kingdom, a heart to give, and that you may do things way, way beyond your grandfather. I pray in Jesus' name. And all the people said, Amen, amen. I thank you all for your time today. Thank you for listening to the Sermon of the Week. To stay connected with Bethel Atlanta, visit www.bethelatlanta.com.